Well, good morning, everybody. I don't know how you're feeling this Mother's Day. It can be a really difficult day uh, for many of us. Um, I find it a difficult day. My mother died a few years ago now, and it was a huge loss in my life. Even though I was in my late 30s, it was a massive blow. And I still can't remove my mother's phone number from my phone. Uh, It just feels wrong. It feels too final to do so. Uh, My mum was a huge impact on me, and she had a really difficult childhood. Uh, She grew up in India. Uh, She was um, one of three daughters born to a mixed-race couple. So her mum was Indian, and her dad uh, was one of the kind of English colonial um, tea planters. And uh, when my granddad died in the war, my mum and her uh, two sisters uh, were all separated from their mother. Uh, because it, it wasn't appropriate uh, for what were called half-caste children uh, to be seen. And so they were separated, sent to different orphanages, and they didn't need to be there. They had a mother, but it was just socially not allowed for them to be raised by her. And uh, it really struck me this morning when you had your video about uh, what uh, your church is doing, King's Church is doing in this area, that there are 8 million people that live in London. Well, you might know there are 8 million children that are living in orphanages around the world. And from the best stats that we can find, many of them have a similar story to my mum. Up to 80% of them have living parents. They don't need to be in orphanages. They could be back with their families. And if they can't be back with their families, wouldn't it be great if they could be with foster or adoptive families locally? That would be brilliant. How many of us would want our children growing up in an orphanage? So I'm involved with Home for Good, trying to help change that globally. But domestically, we're interested in helping finding local children loving homes, either through going back to mum and dad with the right kind of support uh, or through fostering and adoption. And actually, our story into uh, fostering and adoption as a family is, is kind of weird. So my wife and I, we got married And then we had three children in three years, and we were under 30. And uh, if you're not quite sure how that happens, (laughs) apparently Steve Tibbet does an amazing seminar about this uh, with diagrams and everything. It'd be great. Make sure you ask him about it when he comes back. But um, so we had three kids in three years, and I thought that was it. You know, I've contributed to the global population. Uh, That's job done. And I thought, you know, if these three children have come into our family at the same time, it's possible when they grow up, they might leave our family at the same time. Maybe they'll go get a job, maybe they'll go and go to university, and then it'll be back to me and my wife again, the two of us. We'll go for long romantic walks along the beach. We live in Oxfordshire, which geographically I think is as far from the beach as it's possible to get. But we can commute, we'll commute to the beach, that'll be fun. Uh, or we'll go on one of those little city breaks. Have you heard of those? We'll go to Copenhagen for the weekend, just the two of us. And then my wife says, I think our kids were four, five, and six at the time. She says, you know what? I think we've got capacity to love some more children. Why don't we foster or adopt? And I thought, that is a great idea for other people. <laughs> like, a scooter on that kind of long romantic beach walk. Well, that's not going to be any fun, is it? As it wasn't yesterday. Um, 
And, uh, you know, the trip to um, Copenhagen isn't as much fun if you're cradling a baby and a nappy sack. It's just not what I was looking for. And then two things happened to me. One was some friends in their 60s became foster parents to teenage children for the first time. And that really challenged me. If they could do that in their 60s, why couldn't I do it in my 30s? The second thing that happened, and it's an occupational hazard if you're a Christian, God spoke to me through the Bible. Has that ever happened to you? You know, just, just things that you'd kind of glanced over suddenly almost come in bold print as you read them. And over and over and over in the Bible, God says that he is for the vulnerable, that he is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. Over and over, just Google it. Turns up all the time. And I thought to myself, hold on, I'm wanting to be a Christian. I want to follow God. I want to be godly. That means God's priorities and God's passions need to become my priorities and passions. And if God is passionate about vulnerable people, well, I need to be too. And so I'm in. And we became foster parents. The process took quite a long time. Uh, actually, we've got Rachel here. Rachel, could you stand up? Um, um, uh, Rachel's going to be here at the back at the end of this service, and she is a newly approved foster parent, so she can tell you all about what it's like. Uh, she'd love to talk to you about that. But Rachel's been looking after someone that's not from the UK, that's an unaccompanied asylum-seeking child, and there's a real need for, for carers for, for those kind of children. But it took us about nine months to go through the process, which seems kind of ironic when you think about it. Um, and I remember we were driving home uh, from the panel meeting where we got grilled about all sorts of things. And uh, we get the phone call that we're approved. And I went home and I started to just to look at the phone. And I don't know, if, do you remember Batman? Any of you old enough to remember Batman, the TV series? When Commissioner Gordon phones, the bat phone glows red. And I thought, you know what, you should give foster parents those glow-in-the-dark red phones. Because, look, when there's a problem with a crime, you phone the police. When there's a problem with an injury, you phone the ambulance. When there's a problem with a fire, you phone the fire brigade. But when there's a problem with vulnerable children, you call in the foster parents. Because we have a first line of help for those kids. We didn't have to wait long. I think it was less than 24 hours. We got the call that there's this baby just been born. And mum's not in a, a good state. She's not able to look after her child. Could we come to the hospital and pick up this baby? And I remember getting into the car and I put a Moses basket in the back seat. You know what a Moses basket is? Does it remind you of anyone in the Bible? <laughs> Potentially Moses, the first foster child in the Bible. And I'm going, this is like double confirmation. This is it. God's on this. And then as we're about to drive off, our neighbour runs out of her house and she's got a quilt. And she says, look, I hadn't told you about this, but I've been secretly making a quilt. Because I know whoever you're going to bring into your family is going to have a tough start in life. And I want her to have a quilt that no one else on the planet's going to have. I say, in goes the Moses basket, in goes the quilt. And when we get to the hospital, in goes the child. And I'm thinking, look, God is on this. This is... This is part of his heart and his passion. And I love singing. I love singing in church. It's great. But our worship is supposed to be more than singing, isn't it? I felt a connection to God as we cared for these kids in a way that I haven't known anything else like it. That was 12 years ago. And that little girl is still in our family. 
she was, we wanted her to be able to go back to mum. That's always a win if that's possible. But it wasn't possible. Things were too chaotic. And so we were asked to adopt her. And so about now, I'm hoping my little daughter is helping the Mother's Day lunch to happen without me. I'm slightly in the doghouse. Hopefully this is good for you and I'll, I'll recover later. But uh, there are seven children sat around our dining table right now wishing my wife a happy Mother's Day. And this matters to God, not just on Mother's Day, but every day of the year. But it's great to be with you this morning as we kind of unpack this idea. I feel, I feel like we're bonding. Are we bonding a little bit? Yeah, good. All right, I might just blow that up by accident now. I, I've got a photo I'm going to show you in a second. And this photo causes people to fall out with one another. So we're just going to put it up, and I just want you to ask your neighbour, what colour is the dress? All right, let's see. It's very weird. Freaks you out. Okay, let's find out. Uh, who sees white and gold? White and gold. Okay, brilliant. Um, I know you're here at King's Church this morning, but it's possible that you might be Pentecostal. Because Pentecostals tend to see gold where other people don't. Teasing, teasing, teasing. Uh, how about anyone see blue and black? Yeah, you might be at King's Church this morning, but you might be a Baptist. Because we see blue and water where other people don't. Only teasing. And look, you don't have to be someone that's used to church to see what other those colours are. But it's weird, isn't it? Apparently, it's to do with either how your brain processes colour or the distribution of rods and cones on the back of your retina. Whichever way it is, there's something about you that means that you see something that other people don't. Does that make sense? Something internal to you that means you see something that other people don't. And to be honest, that's not a bad metaphor of what it means to be a Christian. If you're new to faith, you're exploring faith this morning, you're really welcome. But for some people, they think Christianity is just a kind of thing you do on a Sunday. Something you do with like 10% of your time or 10% of your money. We're here to tell you actually it's bigger than that and way better than that. Christianity doesn't just change a little bit of your life. It changes everything. Knowing that God loves us and welcomes us into his family changes everything about what we do and what we're for. And I kind of want to put that to the test a little bit. There is no competition, but I've just come from another site uh, connected with your church, and they did really well at this. And the early birds that got here, even though the hour changed, also did really well. So no pressure on you. But I'm going to show you a photo, and I'm going to tell you what most people see when they look at the photo. And then I want you to think, what does God see? when he looks at the photo. And again, if you're new to faith or exploring or just coming along to cheer on another family member as they do the dedication today, you are very welcome. And you might want to think, well, what is this God that we've been singing songs to? What is he like? And how does he relate? So this is Robert. Robert 
this is not his real name because Robert is in the foster care system. And he's been in the UK foster system for a long time. And Robert is available for adoption. In fact, he's been waiting most of his life to be adopted. And you can see Robert's face if you are an approved adopter. And then you get a book. And in the book are lots of profiles of children waiting to be adopted. When Home for Good started as a charity, there were 5,000 children in the UK alone waiting to be adopted. Now, when most people look at this book, they come across Robert and they have a few problems. The first problem is Robert is five years old. Most people coming forward for adoption do not want a five-year-old child. Now, listen, look, this morning, my friend Rachel Gardner was on the radio talking about her struggle uh, because her and her husband uh, were wrestling with infertility. And church was quite a difficult place to do that because sometimes we're not as sensitive as we ought to be. Sometimes well-meaning people give people a nudge and tell them to get started and they don't know the hidden challenges behind closed doors. And Mother's Day can be a particularly difficult day, can't it? You know, do you get a consolation chocolate even though you've not been able to have a child? It, it, could, it could add pressure, can't it? It's really hard. And we as churches across the UK, we're trying to get better at that. But when infertility is your driver for adoption, you don't want a five-year-old, you want a baby. And therefore, Robert's already the wrong kind of kid for you. And we're seeing amazing families change their minds about that. You know, yes, I, I, I wanted a baby, but actually I could be a brilliant parent for a five-year-old. And so we're seeing some changes there. Um, Robert also has a problem with speech delay. He, he can't communicate in the way that he wants to, and therefore sometimes that works its way out as difficult to manage behaviour at school. And people read that and they go, hang on, if he's difficult to manage at five, what's he going to be like at 15? Robert is too broken and too damaged for me and my family. And so many people look at Robert and they turn the page. In fact, everyone that's looked at Robert so far has turned the page. And whether they said it out loud or just thought it in their heads, they've said, well, Robert is someone else's problem and Robert is unadoptable. And up until now, that's been true. Robert has not been adopted. So, here's the challenge. What do you think God sees when he looks at Robert? Just chat with your neighbor. The benchmark is three things that you think God sees when he looks at Robert. And uh, let's see how you get on, okay?
Okay. Let's see how you get on. Uh, we had children participating at the other service. I thought they, they were, and they had the most theologically profound things to say. So no pressure, team. You could do it. Someone over here. What do you think God sees when he looks at Robert? Someone give me something. What does God see? God sees a child in need. He does. Remember that verse we said uh, that God is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. Look, sometimes when I'm trying to impress people, maybe I'm at a party or I'm, I'm meeting colleagues, you know, and I might name drop someone famous that I've met in order to make myself look more powerful. I don't know if you've ever known people like that. Sometimes I'm a weak person and I might do that. Oh, yes, you know, I, I managed to meet the prime minister the other day. And suddenly, like, I'm elevated in your eyes, aren't I? Right? Now, when God wants to name drop someone, he name drops the widows and the orphans. The people that most people don't see. The invisible people. The, the, the people that don't seem to have value. But God has a very different value system to the rest of the world. Maybe you don't feel visible. Maybe you don't think anyone cares about you. Maybe you, you think your life doesn't matter. God says the opposite. I am particularly attentive to people that the rest of the world seems to marginalize or leave behind. God is for you. He knows you. The Bible says the very hairs on your head are numbered. For some of that, that that's less numbers than others, but God knows you and he's for you and he loves you. And so God does see Robert, and he sees his need. Thank you. That's a really, really good one. Someone else? Yes, please. Even though we've been brought up bad, we can walk, walk like a community and help people Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful, wonderful. Great response. So look, God sees hope, doesn't he? See, most people have written off Robert because of his history. They say, your history is bad, your future is going to be bad. But that's not a Christian way of looking at anyone or anything. Think about our stories. If you're a Christian here today, you know what your life was like before you knew Jesus. And it wasn't all roses, was it? In fact, the Bible says I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I was an enemy of God. If God can take someone who is an enemy and dead in their transgressions and sins and make them a son and a daughter and an heir, God could do anything, can't he? And so I've got to look at Robert and see hope and destiny and future and legacy and inheritance. I've got to see that. Now, we don't want to be naive about this. Of the kids in the care system, 70% of them have experienced some kind of physical or sexual violence against them. Many have been neglected. And those things don't go away quickly. It isn't, oh, if a Christian family adopts him and they do bedtime stories about Jesus, then he'll just be fine. That isn't true. Maybe you know that from your story too. Since you've become a Christian, have there been no more problems in your life? Have all your physical or emotional needs all gone away? No. God doesn't promise that. But he does promise to be with us in those challenges and sufferings, doesn't he? And I guess that's what our commitment ought to be to someone like Robert. Can't promise you it's all going to go away. But we're for you, with you, in, in this situation that you're wrestling with. Great, one more. Is there one more? 
Yeah. Oh, there's two. Let, want to do ladies first? Ladies first. You go, you go. Okay. Yes. God loves Robert. Is that, is that controversial? What's that verse? For God so loved the world. You mean every single person on this planet? You mean independent of whether you were born into, uh, you know, a family with my mum and dad or whether you're brought up in care, whether you've got abilities or disabilities, whether you're young or old, uh, whether you're uh, British uh, or Nigerian. God loves the world, right? And if God loves the world, then God loves Robert. And if God loves Robert, guess what? I've got a responsibility to love him too. Silly example. I had a friend, they had a sign outside their house. It says, love me, love my dog. You couldn't separate the two, right? If you hated this guy's dog, he wasn't interested in you. You know what God says? Love me, love your neighbor. You can't love God and have no love for anyone else on the planet. You've got to have love for everyone that God has love for. And that means Robert too. You've done great. There's another way you could look at Robert. And you'll need a Bible to do this. We'll just look at it briefly. It's in Galatians chapter 4. And I won't read the whole thing to you because time's slipping. But let me read you a key verse from verse 4. Galatians 4, 4. And it goes like this. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Three times Paul mentions our adoption, first in Galatians, then in Ephesians, uh, and then uh, in Romans. And it's an interesting idea, isn't it? That once upon a time, you and I were vulnerable children. And in Galatians, it says we were, we were held captive. We were enslaved under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. In other words, we were trapped in behaviors and patterns and relationships and systems that held us captive and we couldn't break free. Maybe some of you remember that. Actually, maybe some of you, it's your current situation. We believe in a God who can set you free from whatever is oppressing you. We believe that. And and we call it redemption. That once you were enslaved and God has paid the price to set you free. It's beautiful. It's why so many Christian songs have the word freedom or liberty in them. But freedom was only part of the journey. At just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman. We recognize that at Christmas, don't we? Jesus, born of a woman in the world. Uh, And then he, he lived his life under the law. Uh, In other words, he he subjected himself to all the laws that the Old Testament had, and he kept them all. And when Jesus died on the cross, as we're going to celebrate on Good Friday, he died in order to set us free. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we know that it had all worked. It had all been accomplished. But Jesus did that so that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, Being set free was just part of the journey so that you can be included in the family of God. I don't know if you realize that you are an adoptive person if you are a Christian today. That God doesn't just forgive you and release you from your past. He welcomes you into his family. 
God says, I want to be your father. I, I, want, I want to have that level of commitment that the best father on the planet should have for their children. My adopted daughter, my birth children, as far as it depends on me, they will never go hungry. They will never be excluded. They'll never be on the streets. As far as it depends on me, there will always be a room in my house for them. I'm committed to them for life. Your heavenly father has the same commitment to you. In Galatians, it says, actually, Jesus made it possible. Jesus was the one born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. Jesus was delighted to welcome you into the family. I was explaining to the earlier service that pizza night used to be a good night in my house. When it was just me and my wife, we'd have this huge oven and this huge pizza. We'd put it in, we'd cook it up, and then out it would come. And then my wife would just have this tiny little acute angle that was her bit of the pizza. That's all she wanted. And I would get the reflex angle, the rest of the pizza. And then we started having kids. And right now, there are seven children around my dining table. And my slice of the pizza is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And on a bad day, I begrudge these children for eating my pizza. (laughs) Jesus is the best older brother in the world, isn't he? Because he did everything necessary to welcome you to the family and then share his inheritance with you. He's delighted to call you a brother and a sister. I don't know if you can see it in this passage, but the Holy Spirit comes. And he's the one that confirms that we're adopted. He helps us know, no matter how bad things get, whatever we go through, that we can call out to our Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. It's beautiful. So God becomes our Father, Jesus becomes our brother, the Holy Spirit becomes our helper, and the church becomes our family. We might not look the same. We might not have the same accents. We might not have the same jobs. But we're one family because we're all adopted. Isn't it beautiful? Now here's the killer question for me. Why did God adopt you? Was he bored? Was he lonely? Was there some need in God that he was pining? God did not adopt you Because he needed it. God adopted you because you needed it. He stepped up and became your heavenly father because you were in need. And it cost him his own son's life to make that possible. So here's the little ask, I guess. What would it look like if we, the people of God, demonstrated that same love for the vulnerable children that are waiting to be adopted in our country? all the children that needed fostering in our nation? What would it look like? That we didn't do it because we needed some money or we needed extra kids in our lives. We didn't do it for us. We did it for them. We stepped up and became the parents they needed us to be. That's what Home for Good exists to do. When we come uh, to a close in a a few moments, there's going to be an opportunity for you to be entering into the family of God. For you, if you're not here this morning with a secure knowledge that you're adopted into God's family, you might be here for the first time, this might be your hundredth time in church, and yet you're still not sure that God wants to welcome you into his family. Well, today, on Mothering Sunday, we're going to give you a chance to come home to God. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. 
But if you are secure, you know where you stand with God, I guess the challenge before us is, what is God asking us to do for those that are vulnerable in our town, in our nation, and around the world? Now, you might be getting a bit nervous now. You might think, hey, Chris, you're from a charity. You've got lots of kids. You've got a van. Um, Is it possible that you are going to do a deal that if you buy one of your books today, there's a free child for you on the way out? No, that's not going to be the case. You can buy the books. No children are available uh, like that. And in fact, if you're someone that's passionate about this, um, instead of um, doing it as a, as a personal family, that might not be your circumstance right now to be a foster carer or an adoptive parent, but you might want to help us financially find those homes for children. So maybe you'd want to stand with us and uh, Rachel can tell you about the, the, there's a free book deal if you become a regular donor. That'd be great. But here, let, hear this. When we first started Home for Good, there was 5,000 children needing adopting. And there was a shortfall of 9,000 foster families. Now, if churches like yours, maybe not as big as your church, but with the same passion for Jesus and for the community, we reckon there's about 15,000 churches. How, how's your maths? Is your maths any good? I don't need everyone here to adopt 10 children. I just need one new family per church to foster or adopt And just like we saw this morning with the dedications, for the rest of the church to wrap around them and to say, I will be a foster auntie or a foster uncle or a foster grandparent and we will help you. It's hard enough parenting children, let alone being a foster parent or an adoptive parent. You're going to need my help and I'm going to stand with you. So that's the call. Isn't that achievable? Just one new family? That's actually doable, isn't it? And then every child that needs one gets the loving family they need. That will make a huge impact to those children. There's some pretty terrible statistics about kids that grow up in foster care and then age out of the system. Maybe you know it. Care leavers make up 1% of the population in the UK, but they are 25% of our homeless population. They're hugely overrepresented. Care experienced young people make up between 40 and 50% of our prison population. And of people involved in the sex industry, it varies city to city between 30% and 70% of sex workers are young women who have aged out of care. That is not right, is it? And I say, look, it's great that the church is helping the homeless and it's helping people who are caught up in uh, sexual exploitation and it's helping people in prison. That is brilliant. But why do we wait until the system has chewed people up and spat them out before we help them? Some of those kids are five years old, like Robert, waiting for a family. Couldn't we step up? Couldn't we commit to them and see their lives changed? I believe it's possible. I'm seeing churches like yours step up. I'm seeing single people say, you know what? I'd love it if there was, a, there was two of us that were being parents, but I think one parent is better than no parent, and so I'm going to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent. I've seen people who are struggling with infertility say, well, you know what? I think we could be a great parent to a three- or four-year-old. I know we wanted a baby, but a three- or four-year-old still needs us. I've met couples in our situation who had a few birth children and have added to them through fostering and adoption. It's really doable. Can I invite you to stand as we make a response? Uh, band will come up and then someone will lead us in a response about becoming a Christian. But this morning, I guess I want for the rest of us to think about
what we, what we need to do. Let me pray for us. Father God. Wow, just, just even saying those words reminds us that we are adopted into your family. Thank you that Jesus came into the world. He was born of a woman, born under the law. He's redeemed us from that law, but he's done it so that we can be adopted into your family. Thank you that you welcomed us home. And today on Mothering Sunday, as we think of children in the care system that would love to go home to mum or that are waiting to call someone else mum, some of those children want to write a Mother's Day card to someone, but there's no one for them to send it to. Lord, on Mothering Sunday, would you help the church respond? Would you prompt our hearts if you're calling us to foster or adopt? Or would you help us, the rest of the church, to wrap around those families or others to, to financially give? Whatever it is you're calling us to do. Lord, right now there's a shortage of social workers. Lord, if you're calling us into a new sphere of vocation, Lord, we're here and we're willing. Because you have poured compassion and grace into us. And Lord, we want to pour that same grace and compassion into others. Lord Jesus, prompt us, fill us up, and send us out. In your precious name.